Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and my guest today is Thomas Street. Thomas uh, was a classmate of mine at MSU, uh, taking film classes, and um, continues to uh, work as a really talented and ambitious filmmaker. Um, he has an upcoming triple feature, if you're uh, near the Lansing area on August 6th at 2 p.m. Um, in Wells Hall. Uh, you can catch his uh, triple feature from Rib- River Magnus Productions. That's his production company. Uh, they'll be premiering uh, three of their films there. Um, that includes How to Fall Asleep Before Midnight, The Money Tree, and Aubin and Lucius. Um, so highly recommend going to that and uh, we talked about a classic musical from the French New Wave called The Young Girls of Rochefort. Um, I think throughout the episode I keep pronouncing it Rochefort. I apologize uh, to all of our French listeners out there, but um, I'm going to butcher things with my Midwestern speak every now and then. Uh, if you're a fan, you've already figured that out by now. Um, we had a great conversation, uh, per usual, spanned a lot of different terrains around film, but uh, Thomas, a uh, super interesting guy, very thoughtful guy on uh, film, and particularly in the way that in- inspires him creatively, and so uh, this was an episode I really loved doing, and I hope you enjoy it. I will say, for some reason, you know, we're like, what, almost 150 episodes in, and there's some things I still can't figure out sometimes, and uh, my audio in this episode's a little weird, it doesn't sound as good as Thomas's does, um, maybe that's a good thing, he sounds perfect, he sounds crystal clear, my uh, ramblings and dumb questions, not quite as good but you can still hear me i don't know Uh, you get you get some of that boxy sound with me so it's sort of like you're sitting at my kitchen table with me um you really get the full experience of being the third person in the room for this podcast anyway whenever i do get the budget of having like athletic greens ad reads or um you know, manscaped or something like that. Maybe I'll have better audio equipment and this will all be figured out. But until then, this is what we're doing. But anyway, without any further ado, please enjoy this very musical episode of We Are Movies. Yes, of course. Happy to be here. Have you done a podcast before? I actually haven't done a podcast before. Yeah, which is very exciting. Um, So this will be cool. I feel like this is a very good way to start out. Um, You know, I've listened to a couple episodes and it will be chill. And we are, you know, obviously in in some film classes together. Yeah. So I feel like, I mean, that was like four years ago, but I feel like we naturally had kind of a way of talking about movies a little bit. And I understand your thoughts about movies, so it'll be cool. Yeah, we have like a shorthand anytime you share a film class with somebody for a while. Um, Especially those film classes. Those are really, those are two of the funnest uh, just media film classes. Well, which which 
uh, we had Mickey's back. class together. What, the... Was it both of them? Uh, so I took a horror film in the fall, and then it was media in the spring. I never took media one. Okay, so I it was a horror. Okay, we did the yeah, yeah the women in horror, uh, yeah. one, which was so fun. That was that was fun. Ginger Snaps is still one of my favorite. Movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We discovered so many movies. Ginger Snaps. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. watching for the first time. That was the yeah. first time I ever saw Jennifer's body. Too. Same, same. Yeah. yeah, it was just one of those movies that you hear, and uh, you know, obviously film. Um, dialogue is very like male driven in terms of especially in in film schools the way that people talk about it is if it doesn't fit a certain kind of you know if it it, you know scorsese coppola these very specific you know style of films um but it was nice to see jennifer's body and then i think in that class i learned the like through mickey learning the importance of camp and like like just how like how fun camp can be and how it can be a vessel for satire as well which is like what jennifer's body was definitely what ginger snaps was yeah and that was so that, that was so fun and even to an extent teeth as controversial <laughs> as that movie was <laughs> we watched oh it. no <laughs> i i do think yeah. what you said about yeah. yeah that it is like there's such a specifically male way of talking about film especially yeah. genre films too. yes yeah and that's why part of why that was such refreshing yeah class um so when did you can you pinpoint a spot in your life where you really started getting into film? What, um, it was my sophomore year of high school. So probably about 10 years ago to around this time. Like, yeah, when I started my sophomore year in high school, I was watching Star Wars and like The Office around that time. And oh. I was thinking, I don't know when was that I your first, first time got watching the thought. Star Wars? No, I had watched it oh. a lot. It was just I was going through another Star Wars phase. Okay. Um, and just i don't know i don't remember what like made me think like oh maybe i could make movies um or just write in general and then i just started thinking and i was watching star wars and the office you know just you know kind of what culture was for me at the time (laughs) that was the extent of everything that and 30 rock um oh nice were the staples for what a 13 year old thomas um (laughs) but yeah i started uh kind of just thinking about it and then I made like an office parody with my teachers I wrote oh, a script cool. for that and it was just after that it was like every day um in high school starting you know that sophomore year I was in my like during lunch I was in the media you know teacher's room just sitting at the computer writing reading interviews of not reading so much as like YouTube was really where everything started out in terms of like learning about film um, who are your guys on YouTube? Um, Every Frame of Painting. Oh, yeah. Nerd Writer, like the big video essay staples. Yeah. Um, those were the two big ones. And then just a lot of interviews, you know, watching the interviews of people like, I don't know, what was I probably watching then? Like the most accessible ones were probably just like crappy, like 240p interviews <laughs> of like Quentin Tarantino right. and probably some Scorsese stuff and what else was I I think right away actually as soon as I started really oh oh, okay okay one of the big first stables for like understanding film in like a kind of critical way was reading the Roger Ebert like going through you know because on his website he has pretty much every you know film review he's done and so that's kind of how I started to think about films um from the perspective of you know, Roger Ebert has like a like 
throughout his interviews has a mixed kind of perspective where he can get very critical about films and then he just talks about like when he really likes a film we'll just talk about the base like you know desires and interests the things that makes it interesting he really hit that middle ground between like an academic and just like a movie goer exactly and so it was that it was every frame frame of painting and watching and and yeah and right away with you know every frame of painting um that channel getting familiar with like akira kurosawa and even like uh satoshi kone like and then right away also getting more interested not just in you know um, live action film but Hayao Miyazaki started to be a staple like in high school and that's when I found out about Studio Ghibli and all that um and Satoshi Kon and what else was like a staple there um yeah those were like the big ways I started out and it wasn't really until like from reading just general film criticism in high school I knew that like Scorsese, Spielberg, Coppola, like those were very important movies for film history at yeah. least for like our you know generation of like you know, around the, what, 70s, 80s, 90s, like, those were the big players and kind of still are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really, I came in kind of, you know, through YouTube, so it was a lot of, like, I think people had gone through the cycle of really loving Scorsese and Spielberg and Coppola, and then we're also moving on to kind of talking a lot about Japanese cinema, which has obviously been a, even since, like, you know, 40s, 50s, like, it's, Japanese right. cinema has been, had a really long history but um, I don't know why, like, YouTube, like, video essays are very focused on Japanese cinema, like, which is very interesting. Yeah, I, it is like, uh, you, you are right, like, the 70s kind of ruled our idea in yeah. America, at least, of yeah. when film starts. <laughs> yeah, of, so many <laughs> exactly. People. And, the, yeah. The, yeah, those video essays, they really did do that, kind of like, well, let's go back before that. And yeah. uh, Japanese cinema, especially... Because today we're going to talk about the French New Wave a little bit. Yep. And I think both of those are interesting cases, and this is kind of a crude way to put it, of like sort of the incestuous relationship that American cinema has with other yeah. you know, other countries yeah. where we influence them and then in turn they influence yeah, us yeah. again, you know? Which is which is really cool. I think I think I don't remember if I learned about this before film school. It was probably like in a Cave Ascari, like one of his film history classes. Um but just yeah, learning about how Akira Kurosawa was influenced by John Ford, yeah, and the westerns, and then in turn Sergio Leone, yeah, Sergio Le- Sergio <laughs> Leone was influenced yeah. by that, and and then Leone influences American westerns again too, and we yeah. go full like full circle, yeah, yeah. It's, that's just so cool to me because I think just I think growing up American and then starting to get like a first glimpse of film history is you start to realize that so much of like even you know confirmed more just you know just learning film history more in film school is learning how much global cinema is really just dominated by hollywood and then mm-hmm. the exceptions to hollywood's dominance like that's yeah. that's so much of like it's it's you know it's unfortunate how that works but it's really cool to hear those type of things where it's like you know shakespeare influ- influ- shakespeare and john ford influence akira kurosawa and then he influences us and then you know yeah. that type of thing so it's very cool cool to hear like that um you know the back and forth of that and then also i was you know a couple months ago i was um studying cuz i've been getting into doing film scores and and writing music more and so i was going through all the um Johi Saishi scores for Miyazaki movies and just going through them time and time again and then learning about his influences 
and in turn learning more about Miyazaki's influences and just seeing how how much Miyazaki and Hisaishi are like um anglophiles like in a way like not not just england but like really really love european culture and then and then also you know as anyone who watches studio ghibli um you know obviously there's a sense of enjoying japanese culture there so it's cool to hear that interplay yeah Yeah. so um how many you so you have a premiere coming up yes of three movies yes right and are they all musicals so the first one is not a musical. The first one is a 12-minute art house film. And that I made um, like late summer of 2020 during the pandemic. And it was me and just a couple friends. And um, it, it was like during that time, I was like, obviously everyone's inside. So I was just f- feeling very cooped up and frustrated. And I was like, I haven't, and I was, um, luckily my job I had at the time was remote. So I was able to do that. But like life was just very much like, working this job and it was in media and I was managing a team. So it was fun. But at the same time, it was like, I miss making films and I had made yeah. a film probably since I left MSU like a year and a half earlier. Mm. So I built like a 10 by 10 set just out of plywood in my basement. And oh, then nice. we all just like, like there were only, um, you know, it was only one actor on, in ca- on camera at a time. So it was like, everyone else wears a mask. I mean, it was only like two or three of us on set at a time. And the actor, is in the shot and then we just shot this film and it's just taken a long time to um kind of edit and get it all together i was having an image uh issue with like the files themselves were getting corrupted mm. uh, which was really weird but i think i've got that figured out so very excited for that so it's going to be an art house um style film and then we'll have two musicals so i'll have money tree which is about 17, 18 minutes long. And that we put out on YouTube about two and a half years ago in March of 2021. Yeah. So there's that. Isaiah's in that one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he is in that. So he's the narrator in that. Um, and that follows, basically kind of follows a template of uh, an introductory, like, I want song, you know, character expressing, you know, what they want, what they're looking for. And then a middle song and then, a third song and it's essentially like a kind of condensed version of like very structured like three act structure based on a lot of like like it's about it's kind of a story about folklore definitely and and mythology and it's about this character Linny who finds out about this mythical money tree that you know it's this big tree where if you chop it down it starts raining down dollar bills and you know um you know it's very campy fun mythology because i'm just obsessed with like folklore and mythology i took a mythology class um like the semester like it was this introductory summer class before i went to msu and that's when i kind of fell in love with fairy tales and all that stuff and you know the it's kind of telling these um magical stories through characters whose psychologies are aren't super developed or super convincing um but there's something very interesting about that and the characters are kind of following the story and like the character go the characters in these fairy tales go through the motions of plot of the plot in a way that a typically like fleshed out character wouldn't and something about that psychological difference to me is so interesting i don't know Mm. i don't know i don't know really how to explain it but um and then i was like well this would be perfect for a musical because it's fairly simple um so that was fun 
and that's a very wintry film. So we're going to start with the Our House, which is summery, go to wintry. Yeah. And then the third film, Aubin and Lucius, we shot the summer after we shot um, Money Tree. So about two years ago from now, which is crazy to think that that was yeah. two years ago. So 2021. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And where Money Tree was very much, you know, it's like Snow White or any of these other fairy tales where the basics are fairly straightforward of the story it's not too hard to communicate to an audience and it's a you know fairly fairly simple plot um but with Aubin and Lucius I was like well I want to try to get a lot more poetic with it and you know keep the same three song structure where you have you know some exposition exposition a song development a song the climactic action and then a song to kind of cap everything off mm. and the real struggle the past few years has been trying to trying to in editing make this very poetic film make sense because you know it's thirty minutes long as well, which adds a lot of complications to it. Um, it's like a hybrid between um, the first film, How to Fall Asleep Before Midnight, which is an art house, and then Money Tree, which is a very straightforward like fairy tale plot musical. And often when you mix styles that are very, are that different, the tone tends to feel a little bit off. So the last two years in editing has just been trying to make the tone for that second film work. So yeah. it's basically, yeah, two one one art house film, a straightforward musical, and then a combination of the two, which is winds up being very experimental and very summery and effervescent and very similar in style to like Young Girls of Rochefort was one of the you know big influences for it was these big you know summery colors a lot of solid colors against you know solidly in 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 Rochefort they use you know these white buildings and these white backgrounds as kind of like the as the palette yeah Yeah, and then all these solid colors you know very choreographed outfits you know solid colors moving against you know people kind of choreographed in motion moving against this background and then in Aubin and Lucius the idea was you know the uh Sorry, I I know this is a podcast, so we people can't see. But He's looking out the outside. window, it's very it's very green outside, and that's yeah. kind of the palette we went for was, you know, these luscious like summery greens, you know, um, and that's it was shot mostly in a forest, and then uh, you know a good part in the city as well. But the idea was that we use the vibrant greens of the forest as this kind of monotone canvas, and then we have you know the the characters moving against that in these solid color outfits. So yeah, yeah. How adept were you at writing music before you decided to start making musicals? Yeah. Is that something you had to learn? Or? Yes. Oh my gosh. So, um, so I've been tinkering around on the piano since I was a kid and my mom was always like, Thomas, you're so talented. You should learn the piano. So I took piano lessons when I was a kid. And then like, I didn't know it as a kid, but I have ADHD and I was just so like, if I didn't want to focus on something, it was very hard to get me to focus on it. So piano was very interesting to me at first. And then I quit. And then I tried again when I was in high school and I quit piano lessons again. And then I tried a couple years after that. And I've just never been able to like stick to learning an instrument or, and I never had anything in my upbringing that taught me music theory. But when I was, um, the time I really decided, decided to start making musicals was, around the time I graduated from MSU, so that summer of 2019. Um, And that's when I was like, well, if I'm going to write musicals, I need to get serious about songwriting and music and music theory and all of this type of stuff. Because, like, for example, um, I took the film capstone, and one of the prerequisites for that at MSU 
was that you take a film directing class. And mm. for the final project, I decided to try and write... I had written a couple songs before that, but I tried to write my first song and then direct a five-minute like musical version of that. And it was such a shit show. The actress was really <laughs> good and understanding. Yeah. But I just didn't know how to write music at the time. Like, it really didn't... I didn't know how to record vocals. I wasn't very good at that. And afterwards, I showed one of my friends, Jason, and he was like, Thomas, why didn't you just ask someone who wrote music to do this? And then why didn't you ask someone to, like, record the vocals? And I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. I was just going with the flow at the time. So after that, I was like, music is so fucking hard to do. <laughs> yeah. It just really is. Like, it's so... I think one of the things that made film so easy to get into and writing was I feel like I pick up really well on the pace of dialogue and I I feel like I'm per- perceptive of how like not just what people are saying but the you know the the undertones of things like that's mm-hmm. something I get very instinct- instinctually so it's for easy for me to write dialogue that has subtext which is like the basic of writing for film honestly yeah, well, I, I mean, I yeah. respect the ambition, for sure, and, yeah. and, and the uh, ability to challenge yourself like that, too, yeah. I, you know, so many so many film students, like, your, your first yeah. instinct is, like, uh, smoke a cigarette in black and white or something, <laughs> 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 or, like, you yeah. know, like, have some hands touch some tall grass for a little while, exactly. and we'll figure it out, and, and so, yeah. like, so quickly, you're, you know, your second film after college, so, yeah. you know, go all in and that is uh really impressive um yeah so was uh was um the young girls of rochefort the movie that kind of got you into musicals to begin with um, or did it start long before that so i forget what really got me into it i think i've i'm trying to think i know i started watching like a bunch of musicals i think the last semester of college mm. I, so I had a, I had a, my senior year was like the big, like if I had four years of college that were all my senior year, I would be like Martin Scorsese and every <laughs> filmmaker combined. Like for some reason that year, like I just watched so many films and was learning so much. Like, yeah. so I remember that winter I had a, like a Hong Kong phase where I oh, read cool. David Boardwell. Do you know David Boardwell? Yeah. He's like, okay. So yeah. So like film historian who also just does a lot of criticism on an analysis of like a bunch of different stuff and so he has an entire book called planet hong kong and it was going through you know hong kong cinema specifically late 60s to like early 80s maybe late 80s um but he was just going through all of that and talking about how those films were made and then i just like gobbled up you know hong kong action films and it was very interesting and then i after that i had a phase where i started um, watching a bunch of musicals, specifically Hollywood musicals from forties and fifties, you know, kind of the golden era. Yeah. Um, and then also some of the sixties as well. And so that's when I really got into musicals. And then I think around that time, that's a fascinating combination of things too, because you you can kind of see the relationship where like a lot of those Hong Kong action films are almost like a dance like so many of those yes yeah they really are it was very like that's what i think is so cool about and that i think one of the reasons why it was so cool to learn about those two different kind of schools of filmmaking in the same what like six month period was it is like choreography and it is like like hong kong cinema is like a dance in that way 
And just also analyzing, you know, specifically through Boardwell's analysis of how the shots were constructed in Hong Kong action cinema. Like I still use some of those fundamentals in like when I was shooting Aubin and Lucius. So like, for example, during action scenes, um, what a lot of directors will do is they'll start on a close up and then they'll have a quick zoom out to Mm -hmm. a wide and then they go through that action and then they go back to the close-up in another setup. So it's like they have... It's like a sentence, basically. Like, you start on this close-up, it expands, it expands, it expands. It's a subject and a predicate, yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's very fascinating to me. And it, there's something very musical about it as well, where it's structured and, like, metered in a way. Yeah. And even just the sound design of, you know, Hong Kong films, um, yeah, I, you know, from that period... You know, just listening to the pace of that and the pace of those fight scenes, it's so, it's just so interesting and so, so musical. Yeah. Um, and then obviously that carries over to, um, you know, Hollywood musicals very well. Right. Which, right. Is, which is cool. So take me to when you first saw uh, The Young Girls of Russia for it. Yeah. What was your first impression? How yeah. did you come across it? Yeah. Stuff? So that was like the, the summer after I graduated where I had watched a bunch of Hollywood musicals and I was like, all right. I get the point. Like, you know, it, it's like any any genre in a specific period. Like, after a while, like, you can see how some are using the, like, building on the genre and doing something interesting. But at the end of the day, I was like, I need to, like, expand and learn more. So that's when I started looking at, you know, I was watching a lot of Bollywood, you know, musicals at the, that time. And then I heard about, I think it was probably, it was probably through an interview with Damien Chazelle, you know, because La mm. For La La Land, his big influences were Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Young Girls of Rochefort. It was these um, Jacques Demy movies. And so I was like, oh, I'll check these out. And I remember I really loved Cherbourg. And then for some reason, the Young Girls of Rochefort just really, really stood out to me. If I remember, I was just like at my house, just like watching it on my iPad or something like that. Uh, like uh, just... David Lynch's head is exploding somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I I had a pro, I had a projector in my basement where I was watching movies down there for a while and I just got too restless to stand still where I was yeah. like I couldn't sit still long enough to watch movies and I was like all right I got to find a balance because I want to watch all these movies so I would like watch them on my iPad yeah. watch them start them in one room in the house go to another room watch part of them out on the porch or something in the backyard and i was like it's better than not watching any movies at all yeah um but even through that is like you can tell even though it's a widescreen film that you know you think like oh you need a cinema to like a full projector to see this like i got the message on the ipad and then you know i watched it again and again on larger screens but yeah yeah well a lot of people don't realize too like when you're studying Everybody, when they're studying film, watching movies becomes like a grind. It becomes yes, like a it really, thing. It's like oh working gosh. out. It's like work yeah. that you become addicted to. Yeah, you know? it's, it's, exactly. Uh, but, so full disclosure, I had not seen The Young Girls of Rochefort. Yeah. I had seen Umbrellas. Uh, yeah. So like I knew who Jacques Demy was. Yeah. Um, literally watched it for the first time this morning. Yeah. Um, Sweet. So fresh in the mind. Fresh cool, in the cool. mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was blown away. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd say I prefer it personally as well. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, there's so much about it that, um, like, the way that there's, like, a... Um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? There, there's, like, there's like a um, metaphorical dance happening yeah. on top of, the like, where... The way all these characters weave in and out of each other's yes. lives, yeah. and 
uh, all the sort of, you know, dramatic irony in terms of like one yeah. character is looking for another character and they're on screen and the minute they leave, the other character shows yes, up. And, yes, yes. Uh, it, it's, it's so like wonderfully like the choreographs like on a larger scale in yeah. terms of like how, where you place all these characters geographically. Exactly. You know? And I think that's what I found so fascinating about it is it's not even just the songs themselves. It's those moments between is when we're moving from, you know, when we follow this one character, you know, we finish the song and we follow the main character, mm. Delphine, Delphine from one location to another. She's just walking down the street. And of course we have music playing and it's, you know, slightly choreographed people dancing on the street. Um, so, and it's not even these main musical moments. It's yeah, it's, it's these moments between where, you get some sense of kind of order and beauty from the music just mm. to see every light everyday life in this way. And then the choreography from the numbers extends to, you know, ensemble staging and choreography just during dialogue scenes and widescreen is such a great format to do this ensemble staging. Cause yeah. you know, you can have a character in close up on the right side of the screen. Like they would do with Maxence during Maxence's song, you know, the sailor who would sing about, yeah. Oh, I I'm thinking about my ideal woman. And then yeah. coincidentally um, has never met her, but draws a picture of the main character Delphine. Right. Um, Perfect romantic storytelling. Yes, too. exactly. The idea his his image of the woman in his head is this woman that we know actually exists. Yes, and he has never met her. Yes, you know? which is so. And I'm I'm such a sucker for, like, you know, soulmate stories and that type of stuff. You know, yeah. very I'm a very romantic person, and listening to Max on sing about that, I'm like, yeah, that's unfortunately <laughs> who I am. Yeah. Well, but, I, I think yeah. this is the type, because I'm not that type of person. Yeah, yeah. And I think when a movie like this is done well enough, I become yeah. that type of person. Yeah, yeah. When I'm watching it. You yeah. know, you get wrapped up in it, and it's like, I, uh, I've i only used this f sentence one other time on this podcast. I think it was after uh, I was talking with Aileen about, um, uh, speaking of Studio Ghibli, we were, yeah. talk we were talking about Howl's Moving Castle, and I said, yeah. like, I think you kind of have to be an asshole to not like this movie. Yeah, I wa I listened to that episode oh, yesterday. Actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to be prepared, so I was like Studio Ghibli. We'll start with that one. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of the highest rated episodes too, probably yeah. because of that. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, that was like my first thing in my head yeah. after this movie ended. I was yeah. like, you really have to be a bitter asshole to not, yeah, to not let this movie kind of get into your heart. Yeah. A little bit. No, exactly. It's just it's really fun and. I think one of the things you have to understand, and I, I think the film illustrates this pretty quickly in like the first 15 minutes, is that, you know, Jacques, Jacques Demi explicitly, like I was watching the BTS, um, just BTS clips the past couple of days, and he said like, the story here doesn't matter. It's about the feeling, it's about, you know, the misconnections, that type of thing. Yeah. It's about just the general like joie de vivre of the whole film and like just how fun it is you know to be alive and see these kind of everyday provincial things happening in a very musical manner yeah and that's what i love about the film i think the first time i watched it i've learned to like it i think the the viewing i had a couple of days ago was the most i've liked the film i think the first time i watched it i knew i really enjoyed it but i think i was in a mindset where i was very focused on like psychological realism mm. and a film being very serious, not necessarily like, you know, serious in tone, but like serious about that. This is trying to be a very good movie that's taken seriously by everyone. And is this, you know, specific thing. And, and I feel like the film like teaches you, cause I, I think I definitely approach it with a very kind of not cynical mindset, but very critical mindset. And it kind of teaches you to let those things go 
And, you know, in the beginning, we don't really even have dialogue for any substantial dialogue for yeah. 13 minutes into the film after the, like the second musical number, you know, we start with this very choreographed ballet kind of jazzy ballet introduction yeah. with the, the carnival workers who come into town and then we have the twin song, which is, you know, very campy and, and you know, effervescent and fun. And then yeah. we this plot starts to happen. But at that point, it's like, well, it's 12 minutes in the movie and I don't really know what's happening, but I don't care. So I yeah. don't need to care for the rest of the movie. And then it makes you care a little bit more because there are some things interesting happening. It's just an interesting, well, yeah. I think what makes me care is that I'm endeared to the characters. Yes. So you're yeah. just, you just kind of care about whatever happens to them. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if there's like very little conflict and i think that's yeah. part of the charm of the movie is that there's very little conflict yeah it's, exactly you know everybody the movie loves the characters and they are so yep. you know friendly and respectful to each other and the yeah. very easygoing way in which this town operates yes yeah. to the way that like uh like yeah i'll have these two carnies uh take care of my little brother <laughs> i know. <laughs> you know i love the i love those those little pieces there yeah because it took me a second watching it my first impression is like oh she must know them and then no, no. as the movie goes on i was like oh she did not know these yeah. carnies that she that they just seemed cool and her yeah. brother wanted to hang out with them so she let them yeah and um but but it is yeah it's that way where it's this kind of like perfect perfectly functioning ecosystem yes with these characters kind of you know weaving in and out of each other's lives um and I, and it, yeah, it's just like an unbelievably like charming atmosphere. Yeah. And in a way, the the setting, in a weird way, and this is gonna be a strange comparison. I started thinking. Obviously, this movie came many years later, but I started thinking about like do the right thing, mm -hmm. and the way that yeah. movie also has this very lived in restricted yes. environment. Yeah. And this ensemble of characters that all kind of you know have their own functions and come in and out of each other's yes, lives. Yes, exactly. It's one of those great ensemble films that will just focus on, like, doesn't doesn't hesitate to focus on side characters. Like, in yeah. very, I think the probably first 10 minutes would do the right thing. Or maybe it's the very introduction is we we kind of are, I think we're on the street and then we push onto this shot of Samuel Jackson, who's yeah. in the studio, of course, Mr. narrating it. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and just, I love those type of films. Uh, for some reason, the past few days, uh, Young Girls of Rochefort has reminded me of like Tampopo. Have you seen Tampopo oh, yeah. before? Yeah. Which is one of my favorite movies. Just the fact that you'll get really focused on a character and then the camera will just like move over and oh, you're focused on something else now. And you just learn to accept it. Like it has all these things going on. You're jumping from character to character. I really love ensemble films, you know, showing yeah. kind of the macro view of things is really cool to me. And, and when a movie makes a decision like that to say, yeah. hey, we're going to fall over here and we're going to see this. Yes. It's like if you do it with like the confidence and the style and the very, you know, particular craftsmanship of Jacques Demy. Yes. People will be OK with it. Yes. You know, like yeah. like if they trust your confidence and what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you decide to focus on. Yeah. You go, okay, this is what we're focusing on. Now. Exactly. Um, I was thinking the way that it's got to be at least 30 minutes or so into the movie when we first meet Gene Kelly's character. <laughs> Which, by the way, I had no idea Gene Kelly was in the movie. So oh, really? Oh, his, that's a great his jump. First, yeah. yeah, it's a jump scare. Yeah. When it first cut to his yeah. face, it was like how like Marvel fans feel when like a cameo happens yeah. you know and they like, like applaud yeah, they jump. that was me i was like yeah. no way yeah and um and then like once because he's the love interest of um etienne 
uh, I think. Solange, yeah, one of the oh. twins. Oh, sorry, yeah. Solange. Etienne yeah. and Etienne's the one of the brothers. Yeah. Solange, yeah. Solange and Delphine are the. Yeah. yeah. It's Solange very confusing. Delphine, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting my French names mixed up. Yeah. Solange and Delphine are the yeah. the sisters. Um, and, uh, Solange is the redhead one. Yes. And, yes. uh, yeah, when they first meet and then Solange leaves the scene and now we're yeah. just with Gene Kelly. Yes. And now we're going to express how he feels yes. having just fallen in love. And it's, and it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's very Gene Kelly too. It feels like, um, like American in Paris a little bit. Like yeah. it, it's very reminiscent of him dancing on the street, you know, talking to kids, you know, you know, joking around with the kids who are on the street and then being like, all right by and then moving on talking to another person and it's just another of those like kind of ensemble like at, you feel at any moment you feel like every extra that's in the movie you could interact with them and they yeah. something will be going on with them and you just accept that would happen because you know these characters will just meet random people talk to extras on the street dance with extras on the street type of thing which is very fun yeah, yeah. I, I in the way that all of these small characters they spend time with them and they all still pay off in, yeah. in some way you know yeah. you have Obviously, the the backstory for Yvonne, the mother, mm-hmm. and how that ends up tying together with um, <laughs> what's his name, old man, si- uh, uh, Simon Dam. Yeah, yeah, Simon Dam. Dam. And w- Dam. which a tragic name. That's yes. the whole reason yes. for their tragic backstory. But so the way funny. that that at the eleventh hour comes together. Yeah. Uh, the way that uh, you know Josette, who's just this. Yeah waitress at the cafe that Yvonne owns throughout the whole yeah. movie the very end of it it's like oh she wants to go to Paris yeah she yeah. has aspirations which is so too. fun she's like all right bye like I'm yeah. part of this fun little migration of Paris too all right well yeah, in a way so she cool. kind of replaces Solange yes, the, that's true you know, yeah, yeah. As a, as a, in the with Paris. the red hair and everything exactly yeah, exactly yeah well they, they even there's like dialogue attributed to that where like she's running and she's like oh here she comes and they're like no it's Josette oh like, I didn't catch that they yeah. even think it's oh, Solange for a second yeah Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, which is great. And yeah, yeah that, everything comes together as like a perfect puzzle yeah. piece. But yeah, and you were talking about the colors in the movie and it's just yes. like, I don't know, Every not to sound like an old man, but like <laughs> every time I watch a movie like this, like I just like, I, I, I become depressed over <laughs> the color palettes in film these days. Yeah. You know, it's so, it's hard like nowadays so if a movie like this came out, it would be a huge deal. Yeah. Well, Barbie. <laughs> yeah, I guess Barbie. <laughs> Barbie's like the return of Technicolor yeah. or something at this point. A new age in cinema has begun. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, we'll always yeah. remember cinemas before and after Barbie, probably. Yes. Um, but no, but, I miss the colors of those old Technicolor films, and yeah. especially going through those old musicals and seeing like Vincenzo Minnelli films mm. and, you know, watching this again. It's like, oh, I miss, I miss those, those colors. So yeah. how difficult did you... Do you find it? Because obviously, like, I can watch 100 yeah. colorful movies and I go, like, oh, more movies should be like this. Yeah. But then, like, whenever I've tried to watch movies that I've tried to make, I, it's like, I, yeah. I, I understand how difficult that is to do. Yeah. Like, how much planning and how much, like, work do you put into, you know, obviously, like, your sets and your costumes and everything yeah. to really, and how much forethought do you put into try to, actually yeah. get your colors to pop yeah. the way that you want them to yeah. based on your influences. Um, I, so for, like, for, let's take Auburn and Lucius, for example. So the 30-minute um, film from the premiere. For that, I knew I wanted, like, the very green kind of, you know, essentially like a green easel. Uh, and that required going to a lot of forests and just location scouting a lot. Between mm-hmm. that and Money Tree, like, 
especially on the budget that I'm at for the I've been on for these films, which yeah, is very you can't build a which set. is little exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um can't build sets for everything and luckily like the story is centered on like forest spirits, so a lot of it happens outside anyway. So I'm like location scouting is ninety percent of the work and then ten ten percent of it is, you know, just um making sure that the image isn't overexposed and so you know so that the greens show up well and all that stuff and then um doing a decent job in coloring i'm not at the budget point where i can work with a colorist so i'm gonna do coloring myself and i'm not a great colorist but the goal is just to not fuck it up Mm -hmm. to the extent where you know i you know turn all the greens to grays and all that type of stuff right Uh, for young girls of rochefort um i watching the bts is like um, they knew they wanted like the white kind of backgrounds for everything. They wanted, you know, white buildings, all this type of stuff. And so they went to the, um, this, you know, kind of small town of Rochefort, which they were going to shoot in. And they painted a lot of the buildings white before they came in. And the art director, I think he said that they painted over a thousand shutters throughout the, you know, the, the town because, you know, it's basically, you know, this white easel with, splashes of these solid colors you know and there's and there's very you know well placed you know minimalist like kind of pink trim places and there's these shutters that are colored so they they put a like that takes a lot to orchestrate um you know they literally had to paint a city for that they had to get all the permits and that type of stuff yeah for indie film it's um a little bit different when you don't have that budget obviously but like location scouting if you if you get if you're good as a location scout or if you have a really good location scout, like that is, it's kind of the same, the same with casting actors is if you cast a really good actor, your job as a director when you're on set is just a matter of like answering some questions and then guiding them through and making sure you're getting what you want. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, it's 90% of the work is just location scouting for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, do you ever... Um, and this is always a funny question to ask, because, like, yeah. especially when you're dealing with indie filmmaking these days, like, the, the romanticization of film, there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with, like, yeah. being like, oh, I only shoot on film, right? Yeah. Is there, oh, that being said, is there a part of you that still, like, romanticizes film over digital? Um. Like a, like a desire to one day shoot on it? I would love to shoot on film. Um, I think especially seeing like the Technicolor 40s and 50s films, like those are the ones that just, you can't get colors quite like that. Uh, and I don't really know how to explain it, but you, yeah, you just I can't. Know, it's get... like you kind of have to see it yeah. <laughs> to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I don't really, I've never gone through like a phase where I've been like, oh, you should, you have to watch or shoot everything on film. Like I've just, I mean, since I started recording, like I started recording things like on my phone or like a DSLR that I borrowed from my teacher. Like mm. I've never... I don't think I've ever shot anything on film before. And yeah. so I just accepted like, it's hard to. I mean, yeah. where, do you, where do you get the, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I would love to one day, I think, it, you know, I would love to like shoot a feature on film, especially with the cinematographer who's really passionate about it. Yeah. And that's the thing is the cinematographers I've worked with have been fine with working on digital and experience with that. And that's, you know, usually at our budget level, that's kind of where it is anyway. But there are cinematographers who really want to work on film and, my thing is, like, I don't like the fact that you would judge a film that's shot on digital because it's not sh- shot on film right. and, like, kind of scold people for that. I think that's right. silly. But I would love to, if if I had a cinematographer who's really passionate about working on film and the vision for the project, like, aligned with it, then I would love to, you know, specifically for, um, for like, a color purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where it comes in 
for me sometimes where, where I get really like like geeked out about film mm-hmm. is the way that people use it for a specific look. Like yeah. I like my favorite one of my favorite stories ever is the uh, when Vilma Zygmunt was shooting McCabe and Mrs. Miller mm-hmm. and he would like ex- intentionally expose the gate yeah. to give it like a certain washed out look. Oh yeah, yeah. which is so risky and yeah. like insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like something that's like only a genius, only like a risk taking genius would like do something. Yeah. You know, to, to like, You got to be very comfortable with that. With right. The, yeah. And there is like but it's also like yeah, now now with the advent of digital it's so much easier just to do that in post. Yeah. And, and also digital does have its own beauty as well. Yeah. Like it does, you know, it's like so many people Quentin Tarantino or like whatever <laughs> they like to you know kind of yeah. shake their fingers at digital but there is yeah. so much like especially when there are certain auteurs that we associate with like the digital age like a yeah. Michael Mann or something you know yeah. like um, but I oh I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, the murder subplot. <laughs> <laughs> I almost, I almost brought that up when you were talking about how, like, how, like, uh, you know, the mom Yvonne will feel comfortable just like letting these two strangers she met five minutes ago, just because right. she had a decent conversation with Meanwhile, them. She's like, all right, murderer. go pick up my kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then at the end, you're like, well, you were all really comfortable throughout, but there's been a secret, like, there's been a murderer who was like in your group that was hanging out with you. Right. Like this guy who's just, you know, in the shop every day. Du- and Dutros, Dutros, Dutro, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a very friendly old man, too. And it's, like, uh, also especially funny that even, like, when they find out there's a murderer, and (laughs) when they find out that their friend was the murderer, it's it's that kind of news. It's just like, huh. Yeah, they blow past it. They address (laughs) it in a song. They're like, he murdered Lola Lola. All right, next topic. (laughs) They they kind of joke about it, too. Like, it's pretty, yeah. So, like, Mm. I, I guess, like, that's the one part of the movie I couldn't quite make heads or tails out of. I'm trying to figure out, like, what I do just, you... I just think it's so, like, I don't think... It's one of those things I don't really think too hard about. I just sure. think it's so... I just think it's, it's so funny. funny. Like, it's very funny. It's part of the lighthearted mood where it's like, we've gotten so lighthearted where something like this can happen and we can just blow past it. Yeah. And it also... It's... Even though it's a, a murder and it's, you know... A crime of passion. Yeah, it's yeah. a crime of passion. It... The way that it is incorporated in and the way that the character was someone they are seeing throughout the film is somehow consonant and somehow makes sense with the way that the characters interact with each other and the way that, you know, events happen and chance happens in the film. Or it's just like a funny, I don't know. It's just, it's just so silly to me. Yeah. And I, I also think it's necessary that he murdered his lover apparently. Yeah. So it's, it's another, it's it's another love story. Yes, <laughs> happening and, off screen. And if I remember correctly, the, so the woman who was murdered is the dan- the you know nighttime or burlesque dan- I forget, but her name Something is like Lola that. Lola. Yeah. And Jacques Demy's feature film was called Lola, and it mm-hmm. followed a you know a dancer and and like a a, night, a performer, and so I think it's like a callback to his his film like six or something years well, he ago he does like his shared universes that is like a weird kind of part of yeah. his filmography too yeah he does have these other characters kind of yeah so it's possible that she, she was murdered yeah <laughs> yeah which is so which is just so funny to me it's it's like you didn't need to do this in this small provincial musical movie but you did and it's it's i just i don't know it's just so entertaining to me it makes yeah. a lot of sense even though it doesn't make sense yeah so well, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> <They> really, <laughs> which is most of the movie. Yeah, uh, to be yeah. Fair. It, that one of those things that you uh, emotionally understand. Yes. More than logically. Yeah. And and I think that's what movies are. 
Yeah. You know? No, that, exactly. That's the difference between movies and reading an essay or a book or yeah it's why you make a movie and not just a wikipedia page right yeah so like five years ago that like concept became really clear to me because was it was i in high school or did i just start uh, either way so i it was at the time where i was like reading a lot of scripts because i was starting to write um screenplays and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. and i was like a lot of the films i'm watching right now because i started out with in film with like some musicals and like Miyazaki and that type of thing. I was like, what if Miyazaki were to write scripts before he like wrote the movie? So I watched spirited away and then I wrote like a script version. And and as I was trying to explain the things that were happening on screen, I'm like, this is where the magic of this movie comes is that you, when you try to explain these things and then just look at them on paper, it's, it does. It doesn't translate. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like it's all the just visual are communication. Pigs now. Yes. Like, yeah. Exactly. And that's what I think is so fascinating. Yeah, about film is you know telling. It, it is telling stories, but it's telling stories with a visual medium, which is and you can be so loose, and you don't have to explain things all the time, and not everything needs to be concrete, um, which is really fascinating to me. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of, because you you brought up video essays earlier. Yes. And I think the I think video essays are a double sided coin yeah. in, in, in film discourse where yeah. it, it it is so important for people like us of our yeah. generation especially in how we yeah. made the movies and gained our media literacy yeah. from the beginning mm-hmm. and at the same time it is also like the death of cinema in terms of yeah. like the amount of yeah. explained videos oh I think <laughs> oh my god. And, Oh my god. That, yeah. uh, Imagine that there's like a Sins. Young Girls of Rashford ending explained. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, Cinema Sins. That's, I was thinking about that like a month ago. I don't know what brought it up, but I was just thinking like if someone makes a explained video about one of my movies, I'll go feral. Like I'll just, <laughs> I, I'll be so, I, I just can't. I just, oh, that's so frustrating to me. Right. That's, that's, yeah, that's what's frustrating about videos is, is you'll find anything from a very great analysis of something that's really well thought out to just like an explained video to like, this is what this means. Period. Right. Subscribe. Yeah. 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 I, I remember seeing like a 10 hour video. It was like, I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah. It, was like, it was like Twin Peaks finally explained. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You, you the, did it. The buck stops here. Definitely. You like, solved cinema. Yeah, I got the hubris that it's got to take to, you know. I, no, seriously. But the best, and I'm sure this, I wonder if this is the case with you. Like, I feel like the movies that have affected me the most in my lifetime are the ones that leave me with the more, most open-ended thoughts and yeah. more questions and yeah. you know one where I can't just outright say what everything means I don't yeah. know it's cliche to say but. I think one of my biggest questions watching this film for the first time was like is this a good movie? because like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it came at a time where it's like all the movies I'd watched like or for the most part like just something about it felt like okay I think the best way to explain it is that so many films were based were so based on like the story has to make sense and then the filmmaking has to support that and this filmmaking is a way of complementing and supporting and then also like explaining this story which needs to be very psychologically convincing and make a lot of sense and that's the conception i had of cinema at the time and so i think that's it like it's one of the it's i think just watching musicals in general was at the period where so many musicals are cliche camp draw on each other in ways that are kind of unsettling not unsettling but like uncanny (laughs) uncanny yeah Yeah. and just kind of like just not unique at times and then just like the psychology of like accepting a movie like the young girls of rochefort like really you have to change your con you really have to change your conception of what 
film is supposed to accomplish yeah. um, as a medium. And yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's it. like, even, you know, a couple of days ago when I watched it again, I was like, I feel like I learned something new about this movie every time I watch it, which is really cool. And it just opens my ideas up of what a musical can be as well, just in general, like a musical film. Like, um, and it's like a, it's a uniquely cinematic musical too, which so many musicals, like, especially just going through like musical history, like our adaptations. And so it's fascinating, to, you know, specifically from the stage. And it's so cool to see, um, original film musicals. Well, and it's, we touched on this before, but obviously Jacques Demy loves a lot of Hollywood musicals. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was a big basis for, you know, yeah. the same way. Like that's a huge part of the French new wave, obviously is yeah. them kind of riffing on old Hollywood genres, whereas yeah. you know, how like Godard loved like American film noir and stuff. And, yeah. And Tru Truffaut like loved Hitchcock and yes. you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so he loves, and obviously, I mean, that's why Gene Kelly's in the movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's very fitting. It's right, very fitting, right, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of can uncanny, he's always had that kind of face where he smiles and there's oh my gosh, yeah. there's almost like nothing behind the eyes. It's exactly. Really, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the perfect definition of like Hollywood gloss. Yes, you know? exactly. But but I guess, uh, have you looked into much about like what his favorites were, what inspired this movie specifically? I didn't look at specifics actually. I didn't get that deep. I watched the, um, like the 25 year retrospective where... Um, so he was, he was actually, he died in 1990, so he wasn't alive at that time, but he used a lot of archival footage of him talking about the film and he just generally talked about how he's inspired by Hollywood, but mm. yeah, I didn't hear a lot about specific films that inspired it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things too, where it's like, you know, style and emotion and mm -hmm. all these things inspired it. And it's not like, you know, it's like not to invoke his name again, but like, <laughs> And and don't get me wrong, would not be a cinephile probably without this man. But yeah. uh, you know the way like Quentin Tarantino, <gasps> <laughs> uh, the, the, the way that Quentin Tarantino brings in uh, his uh, you know his influences on, on a sleeve. Very it, much. So, it it yeah. is. It's yeah. like that's a shot from this movie. Yeah. That this is the literal score from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and, and so something like this, it's like I can make emotional connections and. Yeah, you know, tonal connections like like sort of an internal logic, you know. Yeah. Where I can connect this to Hollywood musicals I've seen, but there's yeah. no shot in this movie where I go like, you know, like oh that's uh, yeah, it's always exactly. fair weather. So, it's you know? it's just like it's just the Gene Kelly part that evokes like all of his like past movies, like especially yeah. the ones where he's you know his a lot the of his Gene biggest Kelly moments. Character. Are, yes, yeah. Of, yeah, and even like the fact that he's on the street is very you know right, and and I think that's a lot of where um I think the fact that Gene Kelly is in the movie is very emblematic and like very telling about Jacques Demy's influences, but I think one of the biggest things that makes the movie feel so different from. Hollywood musicals is that it's outside, it's shot on location, where mm -hmm. so much of those 40s and 50s movies are shot in studio. Right. And in studio yeah. environments. And I think that's one of the things that really sets it apart and kind of gives it yeah. this feeling of newness is that, you know, you can crane from, you know, this, this city square outside and you can go all the way up to this window in this building because it's at the actual location. And you have such a geographical sense of how everything interrelates with each other. Where in Hollywood films, like... Think about like just um, like singing in the rain. Mm -hmm. Like you move from the studio to the street to all these different things, but you don't quite understand like geographically. Like you know they're all in L.A., but you don't know really how they're interrelated. It's almost yeah. like 
like to an extent like Birdman, like how Birdman, you understand the geographic sense of this environment. The camera will move and like inter and show you how these spaces relate to each other. And I think that's what's very refreshing about this film is um, you get a really interesting sense of geography, which makes you feel like by like, you know, an hour in, you're like, oh, I live in this place. Like I'm yeah. familiar with how this street relates with this area, you know, type of thing, which is really cool. Yeah, no, I, I actually hadn't thought of that until you said that just now, yeah. but that's so true. Like, yeah. it's Gene Kelly dancing in the street, but it's a real street this time. Yes. You know, it's not a back lot. It's, it's uh, and that is fascinating, and that does add, like, this check texture to it. Yeah. Um, and the way that he sort of is melding realism and artifice, you know, at the same yeah. time. Yeah, uh, It is, that does hit something where I'm like, yeah. There's something in, in me that's like, this is unlike musicals that I've seen before. Yes, exactly. You know? That's the fun. It's the play between, you know, what you're saying earlier, like French New Wave aesthetics and then right. Hollywood musicals. For example, um, a couple times when the sisters are talking, there's like direct address. Like they're looking directly into the camera and the camera is like between them in that dialogue yeah. conversation. So they're, you know, looking each other in the eyes and you don't see that. There's like direct address in Hollywood films is like if it's like a backstage musical and right. you're on stage and you're looking into the camera or in a lot of gene kelly films he'll do it during numbers as like a break in the fourth wall but it's a very right. much like we're on stage it's two people talking to yes. each other yes I, I only think like i know jonathan demi would do that a yeah little bit. Like, yeah like yeah but for to a totally different effect yeah obviously yeah but that's always it's striking when it happens yeah they're looking right it at is it. very like, striking oh. i I did that um, in Money Tree. I did that a couple times oh, for the yeah. conversations because I was at a point where I was just really fascinated with direct address. And when I shot it, I was I thought it was working really well. And then I showed it to someone and he like laughed out loud when he, you know, not really like a film fan, but when the one of the characters popped on the screen and direct address for the first time, <laughs> he like laughed and I was like, I was like, that makes sense. It's a very abrupt thing to do. Like you understand why it doesn't work so well and like, you know, why it's not a part of Hollywood classical form is that it's a very, you know, it's a very abrupt thing that will really kind of shake you, especially yeah. when you've been accustomed to have the camera gliding around where you're seeing people from different angles and um, people are moving around in space. And then you kind of just put the camera on a tripod, put it between them and just look them in the eyes type of thing. Like, yeah. it's really interesting. That juxtaposition definitely between, yeah, that yes. and the more the flowing yeah. moves and the more, uh, you know, objective perspectives. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to also talk a little bit about in the, you know, final moments of the movie, the way that, I guess, in keeping with the theme of the lighthearted tone and the way that, obviously, like, the murder subplot is so kind of brushed yeah. off, <laughs> uh, the way that uh, the two carnies, uh, Etienne mm -hmm. and um, Bill, Bill yeah. they kind of profess their love for the main characters, <laughs> and it's also kind of brushed off. Yeah, it is but also, you kind of get the idea, like, these guys have done that a hundred times. No, they have. They've probably been in love with many women. No, exactly. <laughs> That's what's so funny about it, is the, they're left by, um, like, what is it, probably 45 minutes into the film. Their girlfriends. Yeah, their they, girlfriends leave yeah. them for sailors. And even then, it's kind of lighthearted. They have a little musical number, where they're kind of yeah. making fun of them for it. And, like, 15 minutes later, they were, like, flirting with the mom, and the sisters, <laughs> and everyone, and yeah. it's, and it's like, they're just, like, feigning, like, caring, and then they become like best friends with the the twins yeah. and they like profess their love to them they're like listen like like collectively when they're in the backstage before the number they're standing in front of them and it's the four of them in the room and the two guys are like listen we've decided that we're in love with you or something <laughs> right. like that where it's like it's like a business meeting they're like we're in love with you and they're changing behind the curtain and, yes. yeah yeah 
and True. and the women are like, nope, and they're like, oh, okay, all right, move <laughs> yeah. on. And then even then, you do have a little dialogue with the sisters, just kind of like, like, do you think they actually love us? And they're just like, yeah, they're sweet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <it's kinda laughs> again, yeah. sort of brushed off. Yeah. Uh, but then also, one of the few sort of like villainous characters is uh, uh, Gilam, Gilam. The ex-boyfriend, Guillaume, yeah, the, Guillaume, the ex-boyfriend, Delphine's ex-boyfriend, <laughs> yeah. uh, who who is the only one who, besides the murderer, yeah. uh, the only one who kind of acts nefariously in the movie. Yeah, he lies about where the sailor is because he doesn't want her to meet him. Yeah, um, and then at the end of the movie, they just kind of they still sort of resolve that relationship where he kind of has a change of heart. Yeah, where he's like, "All right, I'm gonna drive you to Paris," yeah. and she's like, "Nope," and then she's like, "I'm gonna look for this guy in Germany," and then he's like. Oh no, he's in Paris. He, he like tells her where he is, and then he leaves. I know. And, and it's, it's, so it's funny. just a wonderful little moment. You're like, yeah. even that guy kind of gets a moment. Yeah. yeah, I always laugh at the part um, towards the beginning of the film where everything's been very musical and very lighthearted. You know, she leaves uh, Delphine has the number with Solange. They have their little twins. You know, duh, 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 duh. and then they. You know, she walks down the street and we have this kind of moment with where she's dancing with the people on the street. And then she gets into this art studio and the music kind of crashes out quickly for him to like shoot his gun at yes. this. Like it's this pellet gun that he shoots at these suspended bags of paint because he's making like abstract art. So she, right. she walks in and he's like, wait a minute. He shoots this balloon. He puts the gun down. He's like, okay, what's up? Yeah. It also didn't dawn on me. I think it took me a second before yeah. I realized... She was arriving, I think she was arriving with the intention of breaking up with him. Yeah. Before she discovered the painting of herself. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. was like, oh, the sailor would love me. I need to meet him. Yeah. You know, like, the first time watching it, it might seem like she sees that and then goes, I need to break up with my boyfriend. Yeah. But it, I, I think thinking about it longer, I was like, oh, no, she arrived with the intention of breaking up with yeah. him. Yeah. Because it's already a contentious interaction yes. yeah there's some some there's some steam built up by the time we get in there yeah um and it's kind of like released by or or it's like it's foreshadowed by the gun it's like we haven't yeah. seen any sort of aesthetic thing that's like violent in that way so it sets up like oh the tone has changed a little bit and then she has this number and then they break up and then at the end he's like wait a moment and then he shoots it again and that's like the period at the end and then he like escorts her out and it's like this period the at whole. the yes yeah. exactly which is really funny um Oh yeah, the just that musical number in there itself is very interesting. I think that's one of the other things that's um, not very Hollywood about the film is the way that in a Hollywood film, unless unless you're doing like I don't know if it's like Donald O'Connor or like something, and it's like a bit number, and it's like he's doing it's or it's like a pattern number where you know they're singing like but like that's what that number is in so much of the film it's very wordy this mm. this diet this these this music is very wordy and it's slightly like like um what's the word like syncopated like slightly out of rhythm in the way that you know it's not structured in the way you know to the beat the, these lyrics aren't sung this way where it, it, the jazzy influences influence works really well in it and then it kind of sounds like dialogue at times yeah where it's like she's speaking so fast that yeah, it just sounds like she's speaking in like a musical form. It's almost like Rested in Teeve or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I was also thinking similarly the big dinner scene where everyone's yes. talking in rhyme. Yes. You know, but <laughs> I don't think there's a score. Maybe there's some of a score in the background, but it's like, it's not overly a musical number, but yeah, it's it takes a, you a second. You're like, everyone's rhyming with you. Yeah, I remember yeah. I was caught off guard by that moment when I caught, saw it the other day. I was like, I don't remember this, but yeah, I don't remember the music being, if it was there, it wasn't very present. Right. Uh, it wasn't like structuring it very well. And I, it was like, it takes you a minute 
minute to really register that they're rhyming because it isn't super obvious, but it's just, yeah. it's very interesting. Which shows it's kind of this, you know, so many musicals have this idea of like, now we're talking, now we're singing, now yes. we're talking, now we're singing. Yes. And, and the way we kind of flow up and down the spectrum of yep. what, you know, music to dialogue. Yeah. Uh, it also kind of gives it that same sort of, you know, flowy, gentle feeling of we're just going to yeah. kind of go where the wind pushes us, yeah. you know. And one of the biggest challenges in a musical is convincing the audience that there should be a musical number in this place. Yeah. And I think the the fact that they have these interstitial like moments where she's dancing down the street and it's musical even though there's not, you know, lyrics happening or when they're in that dinner scene and they're kind of rhyming, like there's things that aren't musical, but they're on this, they create this spectrum that's not just like you're saying, like black and white, like, all right, here's diegetic action, here's the musical number. Uh, dialogue, musical action, yeah. where it's like you have the spectrum of, all right, we have, uh, we start out with a ballet number. There's no singing yet, but there's, you know, this ballet that's happening. And then that transitions nicely into a musical number. Yeah. And then that kind of, you know, eases down into this moment on the street where she's walking down with all these people. And then it kind of crashes into dialogue. And then we go back into a musical number. And it's like that musical number that happens in there is a lot more convincing, even though it's slightly abrupt because we have so much context and because we have these interstitial like periods. Yeah. yeah. And I, as a result, I also think like as a, from a casual viewer perspective, yeah. it never feels like any number outstays its welcome Yes, because you're not waiting for a number to end and the dialogue to start again or yeah. vice versa. You yeah. know, it's like, I think about like some musicals where, there's plenty of musicals where there's that one number that just goes a little too long. Yep. Like, like, did you ever see like Oliver? No, uh, I haven't. Not in a while at least. The Who yeah. Will Buy sequence in that movie, uh, which yeah. I think comes right before the intermission, it's like yeah. one of those where you're just like, Jesus. And you're like, <laughs> well, it's like Return of the King. It's like you think it's ending and then it keeps going. Yeah. Um, but I never once had that feeling. So I think a lot of the reason why is that they use music for exposition so it's not mm -hmm. like you're waiting on expo it's not like you're waiting on the music to finish so you can the action can happen the action happens within these numbers yeah and then at the end um they have a lot of singing at the end but what they actually do is they pull back and a lot of the end drama is portrayed through dance yeah. so a lot of times when people like so what i was doing for a while is i was watching a bunch of movies and then making like a heat map of when there was dialogue and then there when there was musical numbers in a lot of films what you see is the music is very heavy in the beginning it lightens down a little bit in um, the middle. And then it's like, especially in the Disney Renaissance films, like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, like music is often like there's no musical number or there's just a slight like reprise of a musical number in the last 30 minutes. Yeah. And because because musical numbers often like hold up momentum, like that's traditionally how they function in Hollywood films. But in this film, it's like, music is the language of the film yeah yeah and like everything is portrayed through that it's not a diversion part. it's yeah yeah it's exactly. the main thing yeah um i was gonna pull up a couple letterbox reviews cool. that i found um uh th this one this one kind of makes my blood boil yeah because like i feel like this is the oldest criticism of film in the <laughs> book uh they said half a star out of five <laughs> apparently <laughs> love is based entirely on how people look that's it <laughs> It's just like, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in this movie, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's yeah. another thing. It's all about diegesis. I don't, know, diagesis, to, I don't right? know what to say about that one. But, <laughs> um, yeah. This one, this one's kind of funny. Half a star. I love movies about music. 
Glee is one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mind animated and theater musicals. Uh, but when movies have absolutely nothing related to music and still the characters start singing in every minute, I really, really cannot stand them, unfortunately. I must be heartless. I think they kind of shoot themselves in the foot twice, though. Yeah. One, the Glee thing. Yeah. And then also, when they say I must be heartless, I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that that's one of the oldest ones in the book, too, is uh, if the story isn't about music, there shouldn't be musical numbers. Like, that's why there's so many backstage musicals, because audiences a lot of times are so hesitant to believe something unless the, right. the musical numbers perfectly It comes back uh, you know, to the, that old enemy of realism. Yeah, Like, I exactly. hate that idea that realism equals quality. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know? Like, exactly. Like... Even, like, like The Godfather. Like, is The Godfather that... Like, look at the lights in that movie. Yeah. Like, look at the lighting in that movie. There's plenty you, of like, formalist elements in yeah. every great film. Like, that's what art is. Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it is. It's funny. Uh, last one. Insufferable mass. So much style. <laughs> but absolutely no substance whatsoever. And all of these <gasps> is worsened by the music numbers that hardly <gasps> ever land, feel out of place most of the time, and drag the whole movie... Um, and so a lot of that makes me think, oh, this person just doesn't understand, you know. Yeah. But then the last thing they said, said is, disappointed after loving the Umbrellas of Sherboard, which kind of throws huh? me for a loop there. I'm like, I don't know. What? <laughs> like, uh, this is, must be a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde yeah. type of situation with them. The, well, I think I, the style over substance argument is another one that I hate. Because yeah. I'm kind of like, well, sometimes the style is... The substance. Again, it's like, that's yeah. what art is. It's yeah. Like, what oh, is substance? Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, that's so silly. And it's just like it's just a fun movie. Like get yeah. over yourself. Why, like why not? like look at the look at just look at any of the frames from the movie. It's right. so fun. It's like it's just like a little candy shop that's like very paint, painted very nicely with all these pastel colors. Yeah. And people are flowing around and it's well choreographed and it's all these pretty colors moving across the screen and one of the best yeah. like five star reviews I saw was somebody just saying like I want to eat this movie. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, pretty it's much delicious in every frame. Yeah. Um. So before we get going, uh, you uh, your triple feature. I'll put all this in the description. But like, Thank when you. is it? Where is it? Okay, August sixth at two p.m. Okay. at Michigan State University. So in Wells Hall at B nineteen B B one nineteen. So it's one of the projection. Um, halls and lecture halls that I watched countless films on yeah. like so many it's a meaningful place yes it really is yeah. and I I was just like it would be so cool to premiere it there like yeah. like you know the audios I the audio the speakers aren't going to be you know projection you know theater quality it's not Dolby or anything but it's just the nostalgia of all of it is it feels very full circle yeah um because I think throughout film school I was always struggling to complete films and you know, there's just so many elements that go into making a film and everything and it, it, things go wrong all the time. Like even for the, the three films that I've finished, like things were just going wrong constantly. And it's like, Aubin and Lucius, there was a time where it was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to finish this film. Yeah. So it just feels very full circle to like be able to like see those films there. And, and will this be really the first cool. time anybody sees Aubin and Lucius? Is this? Yeah. I'm yeah. still finishing it. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's, it's, that's it's, um, which it's, you know, I've, I've been studying music theory and music composition a lot this year. So I, I honestly, like two years ago when we finished shooting, I was not ready to write the score and to write the accompanying music to the songs themselves. Yeah. And so I've just been, you know, studying music the past year and a half, just trying to get ready. And I'm finally at the point where I'm like, 
uh, like everything kind of clicks and like I know how to score films known. I've put in the work and it's very yeah. exciting to be finishing this up. So turned out, awesome. out a lot better than I expected it to. That's good. Which is always good. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. Um, one of the last things I want to ask you is yeah. where the name River Magnus came from. So River Magnus is the... So when I started the production company is... Um, a lot of the stories like Money Tree, the, the narrator's name is River Magnus. So mm. the goal was to have pretty much every film be very folkloric and very, you know, mythological based on these kind of like, like modern folklore, essentially. And the character was always going to be the narrator was always going to be River Magnus. Anyone could play the River Magnus character. That was the concept of the it was just a narrating character, like kind of a stock narrating character. And mm-hmm. I thought like, oh, I like that. I like the way the name sounds. So um named the production company that so not doing as much folklore stuff anymore and the the narration isn't going to be present in every movie because i realize it's just a little bit too restricting like some stories like i wrote i've been um writing a new musical that's like a gothic horror musical really? and i realize it doesn't make sense to have this narrator in this so i'm like sure. well i have to let that go but the name is sticking so which is which is cool what's is that your next project the gothic horror one? hopefully i mean it's a feature so uh oh, yeah. you know if a, if a 30 minute film is hard to make imagine how <laughs> three times the yeah, length. Yeah. three times the length and x you, times the budget so. so you're still you're in the script phrase phase right now um so i wrote the first draft about a year and a half ago i'm about to come back to it in the fall because it's set in the fall so i was like it would be good to revise it then it's just another like a, i think it's like an emotional maturity thing like, I was not ready to finish editing Aubin and Lucius two years ago. Mm-hmm. I was not ready to rewrite this two years ago. Like, I just didn't, like, I needed time to, you know, emotionally mature. And then also, like, especially musically mature is, I think my songs back then were very verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Whereas now I've, you know, studied classical music and really thought about, like, playing with form and all that stuff. Where I'm like, I feel yeah. like I can actually do something really creative this time around. So... Cool. revision time writing is rewriting so yeah yeah, yeah i get you uh mm-hmm. well, and i'm sure it'll be easier too once everything else is kind of expelled once once these movies are out yes. there and you can kind of having a f- unfinished film for two years is is <laughs> will eat you alive yeah yeah uh was there anything else you want to say before we finish um up? no just thank you for having me on this is really this is really fun uh i feel like this is a good first podcast to do good hopefully. i'm so yeah. glad i appreciate yeah. that i mean i just remember uh, we had so many great conversations in film and yeah uh, i think what you're doing is is really cool thank uh, you. and so uh and i appreciate you also getting me to finally watch the young girls of rochefort yes i I'm, did love the movie i'm glad you enjoyed it it's a it's a fun even if you don't like it it's a lot it's a, a lot of a lot of stuff to to watch it's like yeah. if you don't fully enjoy it, it's camp which is at least <laughs> you know which will be which, which is always entertaining yeah. anyway camp so. is that old safe word for anything that maybe you don't fully enjoy but there's, yes <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something, something interesting about it exactly it's crazy yeah. yeah all right thanks man yeah thank you